Hi, I'm Christy Shriver, and we discuss books that have changed the world and have changed us. And I'm Gary Shriver, and we are the How to Love Lit podcast. Every week, we cover a piece of classical literature. We set up the historical, psychological, and literary context, making these challenging works actually fun. The How to Love Lit podcast is available everywhere, and you can also visit us at howtolovelitpodcast.com. You'll love it. From the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is the Relevant Podcast. Delight Lemonade. Used to carry all the groceries in one trip. Simply made and made, gone in one sip. Too much dip on my chip. Step on my chick to get my lip on. It's Tuesday, June 4th, 2019, and it's the Relevant Podcast. A special edition. Well, not a second. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios on the ones and twos, our illustrious engineer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everybody. And that's it. We right. do not have, I think for the first time in podcast <laughs> history, we don't have a, a, that last seat filled. That's true. I literally we've we've done seven hundred and eighty ish episodes. We've always had, from my memory, other than maybe the first ten, four people plus somebody recording. Well, us. and here's the thing: we typically have a pretty deep bench too, you know. And I know yeah. it's I yeah. know it's print week for us, but <laughs> you would not believe how busy everyone else who's ever sat in this fourth seat is. And one person has disappeared entirely, and I'll get to that in a minute. And I'm frankly concerned. I thought I thought summer was like, you know, you know, sun's out, guns out. You're relaxing. People aren't doing as much. Yeah, but no, the, the, the high achieving relevant nope. podcast cast. They're they're out. They're traveling the world. They're crisscrossing. They're changing things. They're taking names. I mean, it's, there are literally a dozen people that uh, was scheduled to be on today, and like I said, one missing person that we'll get to shortly. But it's but listen, we got the skeleton crew. We're running lean. We're running hot. I can you know promise you. A little bit more wiggle no room. Net. It's a little bit more wiggle room. There's more lane for us to occupy. <laughs> right. It's like when Kramer painted over the center line and he just started weaving. That's us this today. Can I just, I want to say this because Karen, I jumped into that Twitter conversation you referenced uh, last week about, you know, someone concerned about the amount of nonsense and banter. And let me say this. If you're listening yeah. to this podcast for the first time, pause yeah. it right now and download like the last three, because this one's going to get weird. <laughs> it's going to get real weird. And I don't care. This is just a, this is like those episodes of TGIF, like when Urkel and Uncle Jesse from, you know, like three different shows would come out and sit on the couch and directly address the viewer. And they just yeah. said like recap episodes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they yeah, just decided yeah. like the yeah, whole yeah. construct of sitcoms of TGIF. We're just tearing down the fourth wall. And now yeah. we're just talking to you directly because things don't make sense anymore. That's this episode. The Jump thing, right the in. Thing, uh, deep in like the fourth, our fourth usually, and not all, and some people are better than others. We don't need to name names, but the fourth is usually sort of the tether. You know, our anchor. They keep things. They keep things on the rails. They keep. Uh, they're, they're the seatbelt. They don't let us get too far. And that's not happening. When there's today. a respectable person in the room, all helium. When, you know, when there when there's a nice lady in the room, you sit up a little straighter. You know what I mean? That's true. You're not yeah, gonna. That's you're true. not gonna yeah. give in to your yeah. that that inappropriate joke that that makes you smile, but you're not. But you're holding it back because you don't know where she's coming from. No, you're gonna say it. She's not there. Okay. To that point, Cameron, can you read? 
the note I've left under banter. And that's all people need to know what they're getting into this episode. I saw it. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> despite everything we just said, we do actually have a great show yeah, in store fantastic. for you. Yeah. Coming up later, uh, Heather Probably. Avis joins us. She's the author huh. of the new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, My Story of Sitting Next to a Guy on a Plane Who Hogged the Armrest. No, it's called Scoot Over and Make Some Room, Creating a Space Where Everybody Belongs. She talks about uh, making the church and our communities more diverse places. We're excited to have her. Yeah, it's a great today. interview. Super. It's a challenging interview. Man, I, I'm a huge fan of Heather. Of and Heather just to be clear, Scoot Over and Make Some Room has nothing to do with flying too close to a armrest hog on an airplane. Uh, you know, the, the strategy means you need to tank top at every travel. So that means, because here's the thing, like if you're wearing a long sleeve or like a hoodie or something, people yeah. are more inclined to be like, well, I can touch a little fabric. No yeah, big deal. Yeah, I wear the hoodie. I, but if I'm, I'm always but if I got the whole exposed shoulder and arm hunched over that armrest, that thing is mine. That thing yeah, is mine. No one's I'm going, no one's going skin tops. to skin. I mean... Desperate times call for desperate measures, Tyler. I've and never. if you really want that armrest, you will bear as much skin as you need to. I do not. Tank tops are tank tops are now they're new. Now that's sort of a that's getting a little a little uh, risky in today's in today's climate because Jesse, you and I were talking about this this Catholic priest who's getting ratioed over Twitter because of this uh, suggestion that people shouldn't wear tank tops to church. Yeah. Did oh, you see this? No, yeah. I did see. Oh this. yeah. This this guy he's at last I checked he's at eleven thousand replies oh to gosh. his suggestion to uh, he's a priest and he said that he he doesn't think that women should be wearing tank tops to church anymore he asked a woman who was wearing one to cover up to cover up we're already into a conversation that'd be very useful to have somebody like Annie around but it's too late it's too well, late there's he, no net there's no anchor here's the thing we're, we're already in it I've been too wearing late. my cutoff. Uh, it's midriff bearing, uh, oh because that's gosh. when I'm, I'm, you know, throwing around the, the old medicine ball. I like to have a lot of <laughs> flexibility at my core. It's Stupid. my midriff bearing. You don't want to be tethered by the fabric. Yeah. yeah. It's my midriff bearing cutoff Lord's gym. Uh, sure. I'm wearing that to church, you know, because, uh, <laughs> preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use a, use a t-shirt of Jesus bench pressing the cross. So yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if he's got a problem with that, then, you know, take it up with the trash can because that's where his opinion belongs. <laughs> the real inspiration. <laughs> all right, Jesse, in, our, in, in the notes for this opening segment of the show, where we typically just kind of, too, much to the chagrin of that new listener who tweeted us about it, this is the part of the show where we tend to just meander into whatever topical right. lane we don't have time percolates and just naturally happens. Uh, you know, thankfully, I rescue it by moving on. We have other segments coming up. <laughs> we've already talked uh, about tank tops for seven minutes of the eight minutes we've been this recording. Is, this is this is the part of the show where there's no plans, no plans. We're fighting <laughs> fast and loose. For the first time in my memory, Jesse has written a show note under this section. The show note to me is. Rambo trailer tossed to Jesse. <laughs> Guys, okay. There, this should be its own podcast, to be honest with you. I don't even know why we're doing the rest of a show this week. We should have two guests on Friday so we can dedicate the entire hour and a half to this. Okay. The biggest pop culture news of the year happened earlier earlier this week when oh the trailer for Rambo Last Blood 
hit the internet. Okay. I feel like I need to provide a little context for why this is so significant because if longtime listeners of this show know that I and uh, a former, uh, one of our former editors, Adam Smith, have been fans of the Rambo franchise for many, many years. Ironically, fans? Ironic fans? It started off as eight-year-olds as real fans, evolved into ironic fans. And then when Stallone just stopped caring entirely, very authentic, unironic fans, (laughs) as we will see soon. (laughs) So so Adam and I, you know, were big fans of this. We would write our own scripts for Rambo films, which we would relentlessly submit to Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) Stallone was actually on this podcast at one time and heard of one of Adam's ideas to which he hung up shortly after um and i try to get adam on and and i have a theory of why i haven't been able to get a hold of him because i've been in regular contact with adam smith now for about 15 years and my only assumption is there was a surge of testosterone so forceful that it just knocked his heart out i think after, he's in the after ICU. he saw the the trailer after I, he saw the trailer I, just testosterone just a surge just he just his body overdosed on testosterone just from seeing this trailer so oh, i i saw over the weekend I saw a relevant tweet the the breaking news that the rainbow trailer had been released <laughs> with the soundtrack the non-ironic soundtrack of Old Town Road that's right that's on right on the trailer and so, I, I literally was like, I don't have time for this. Okay. Like I, <laughs> okay. I, I, so here's what we need to do. I don't I don't want to belabor this more than it needs to be. But I watched this trailer and oh, then wow. I watched it with my eyes closed several <laughs> times because I was like, this may be the first trailer in the history of movies that is even better if you don't see what's happening on the screen. The other reason, too, is because clearly this was hand edited by Stallone himself and the violence depicted is a hard, hard R in the trailer alone. <laughs> like the little what's, the premise? what's the premise of this final installment of the Rambo franchise. Yeah, that's okay. what I'm curious about. So as you know, a Rambo prior to this has retroactively won the Vietnam War single-handedly. Really? Uh, he he defended Afghanistan's from the Soviets single-handedly. Uh, last time we found him, he was a professional snake hunter. That was literally his profession. He decided to retire from snake hunting to go single-handedly save a bunch of Christian missionaries from a compound in Burma. Okay, so we find this trailer opens. Close your eye. In a minute, Chandler, we'll start the we'll start the soundtrack. But I need to set the scene first. <laughs> Rambo is now set in his mid seventies. It opens with him sitting on a rocking chair in a house in the middle of the desert. What proceeds? What you're going to hear? You're going to hear a lot of knives being sharpened. You're going to hear there's some booby traps. There's appears to be a workout montage in an old barn like a Rocky film. Now, in your mind, you're wondering, I wonder what's happening on the screen. It's a montage of Stallone sharpening knives, shooting arrows and taking down an entire uh, 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 conglomerate of Mexican drug cartels as a man in his 70s with nothing but a bow and arrow and knives. Chandler, a bow and arrow. Wow. Chandler, start playing. I will narrate as needed. Start with seven seconds in. Here we go. Mm. I've lived in a world of death. <laughs> it sounds like someone impersonating <laughs> Sylvester Sloan at this point. I've watched people I've loved die. I've watched. <laughs> some fast with a bullet. Some not enough left to bury. At this point, Rambo's riding a horse, if you must know. He's quite literally riding to an old town road in the trailer. I'm pretty sure they shot this trailer with the intent of using old town road. But the time has come to face my past. 
Okay, Rambo is now on the roof of a building, fighting an entire Mexican drug cartel with his bare hands. They will welcome death. It should be noted, they are all heavily, heavily armed. I'm looking at Tyler on the screen right now. He is growing a beard as we speak. So many things are exploding on camera right now, and they yeah, literally don't nothing. make sense. It's just random old barns are exploding. Stop it. Okay. Who <laughs> is in? Who's Chandler? Are you not Here's in? I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I'm here for it. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at. I feel like whoever, whoever edited this trailer, and, and let's be honest, we know who edited this trailer. Yeah. It was Sly. And we know I, all too well who edited this. He he knew that Old Town Road was a phenom. Was was all yeah, the kids love Old Town Road? Not, it just came out like know. two months ago. Nine weeks at the number one spot. Yeah, Nine yeah. weeks now. Yeah. He, but he didn't understand that in the internet era, like you both love things and you're like the line between sincerity and mocking something is gone. So it's like this ironic but not ironic love of the song. But he, Sylvester Stallone, heard the song. He's like, no, that's a song. He really felt it in his in his marrow. Like he was like, ride till I can't no more. That's the Rambo ethos <laughs> right there. So in your theory, Tyler, they had already cut a trailer for this right. film months ago. That's right. They, they had a different song. They had like a much more yeah. probably a propos and then tune. Stallone, who judging by the plots of most of the films he had been in, does not understand what irony is. Right. Uh, uh, right, hears right. it with a sincere love, calls the studio and says, we got to hold off on this thing till I can get a yeah. special version, a Rambo version of this song recorded and edited into a trailer. I'm right. sure he does it himself. I'm sure it's a, he opens up Pro Tools and and he gets and he rips the song that he, he probably buys it on itunes you know like a normal and that's and that's how this trailer came to be because he just loved the chorus about riding your horse till you can't ride no more I, I, that much i'm picturing sylvester sylvester stallone sweating profusely in a tank top maybe a lord's right. gym tank top just profusely right. sweating wearing like those big studio engineer headphones like in like a <laughs> like a like a studio like wood panel walls and he's got like five monitors and he's just furiously editing this for like seven <laughs> weeks straight you know, job well done, Sly. I also feel a little strange about the fact that this is a Lil Nas X song, but I believe they only used the Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> the like twenty seconds of Billy Ray Cyrus over it. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to make any Catania's versions on Sly Stallone about that. I just noticed it. It's a little strange. It is. Yeah, it was an interesting creative decision. But I am here for this film and here for this trailer. Uh, you know, if people can't stomach the film, just watch the trailer like seven times. You get the gist of the movie. I mean, it, you're all good from there. So uh, I, you're welcome. World. Your love of Rambo is the most surprising thing about you to me. Why is that years. surprising? Because it seems because, like he embodies the spirit that I love. I guess so. I guess. 
just just the just the unbridled enthusiasm you have for the wanton violence is is uh, well, this okay, okay. Here, here's you're a very kind and empathetic person in real life no I, I am and like i don't typically i'm not you know i i don't mind action movies but i'm not like a big action movie but right. i think it's just right. that he's rambo like stallone only has one speed and like i said the, the thing that he's incapable of un, of understanding unintentional hilarity like right. not he's never made a comedy well i guess he made like throw mom off a train or something like in the eighties or whatever, but like I don't think he really understands comedy. Like he's throw not, mom off a train. You mean stop or my mom will shoot? Yeah, well, it was one of those. I'm pretty sure throw <laughs> oh, no, mom like, off a train. I like, is, I like no, throw yeah. mom off a train. No, I think that's right. Yeah, the, I, think I think both of them. I think were Jesse's right. In the 80s. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. But either throw way, mama, either way, mama from I, don't, the I don't feel like just given the title of that film alone, I don't feel like uh, Stallone has a great grip on what's actually funny. You uh, know, he's no, not okay. he's not in Throw Mama from the Train. Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal are in Throw Mama from the Train. Just FYI, that's a that, that's a great cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got I got to put that one in the queue. Yeah. The director, I, the director of Throw Mama from the Train. Mr. Danny DeVito, he double dipped. He starred and directed. Good for Danny DeVito. That's, that's the life. What a career. That's the life. What a career that guy's had. I, you guys know I'm a big DeVito fan. I do think, Jesse, here's where, here's where you lose me a little bit, is I'm a big fan. I think we talked about this, because I'm a big fan of First Blood. I like I like the first See, Rambo. That's a lot. the one I don't like because it's too because serious. Because that one's and like actually, actually has a real there's a, there's like a real message <laughs> that that's real commentary good. on Vietnam War. And then after that, it's where it loses me because then it's just Rambo Rambo being awesome. Um, exactly. But I think you're the revert. We're 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 flipped on the, that. The first one is like basically an indie movie about like PTSD and American society grappling with the aftermath of hardened veterans coming back from Vietnam. It's you know it's actually a good film. The second one is where he is plucked from a prison cell and asked to go, you know, save hundreds of POWs single handedly and somehow, you know, retroactively defeats the Viet Cong. That's when the franchise got good. That's when Rambo would start shooting stuff with arrows and what the targets he would shoot would just blow up without explanation. You know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing you and I are literally the polar opposites in our movie taste in the sense of let's take the fast and furious franchise. I like the first yeah, yeah. few where they were plausible. They're no. heists. They were, they were, they were, they were, Jesse likes yeah. number seven where the, where the car is jumping from the hundredth floor of a, ta- a skyscraper in Dubai into another skyscraper Ra- in Dubai. And then, and then races a submarine, a nuclear yeah. powered submarine in the Arctic. That's what I want. That's yeah, why I see. No, Listen, no, there is a clip no. in the last Rambo movie where he saves those missionaries where Rambo literally punches a guy's head off. Like he punches a head <laughs> off of a, okay. Rambo sneaks up behind the guy's like, huh? and then Rambo with his bare hand just swings his dead, thick seventy-year-old arm like and just punches the guy's head off. And the thing is, Stallone's—you know—he thought of that and it's like, oh, I gotta do that. Gotta punch a guy's head off. Like he didn't think, well, this is insane. Like this is this is ruining all plausibility. No, he's just like, no, we'll punch his head off. Like, like that's what I think. Like that's why I can't wait for this movie. Like I said, he doesn't. Rambo refuses to work with any. So he's going solo, even if he's severely outgunned by Mexican drug cartels. It's Sicario with Rambo, and I'm here oh for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I don't care what you guys say. I'm here for it. Yeah. Cameron, you brought, you brought up something that I want to revisit because I've never, until this week, I had never seen a single Fast Furious movie. The franchise was was a blank which slate. One have you, which one have you seen now? And then 
on Tuesday, I watched my very first one. Number one, Fast and the Furious, okay. number one, with Paul Walker. Yeah. And then on Friday, uh, uh, my wife is going to the Ariana Grande show. So I got number two. Me and some friends got number two, and I'm going through number two. You're saying that it starts good and then just gets too stupid to be. No, 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 uh, the first up to five or six even are self-aware. They know what they are. They're loving it. They're it's dope cars and it's just all the you know whatever. It, it the plot is secondary mm-hmm. to just the the race yeah. scenes. It's self-aware. I, from the first I am not yeah. an action movie guy at all. Right. For some yeah, reason, yeah. that franchise became my guilty pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I yeah. remember going to the debut opening night of number six with Chad Michael Snavely, and there were people cheering and running around the aisles like the whole audience was <laughs> in on it. You know. I mean, we were like, just having a, jo- like snakes on a plane. Like dude, it's just we're having joke. a great time, right? What yeah. happened was they ran out of ideas, and number seven and eight just got so absurd. It wasn't even like fun anymore. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. It just. I, you mean way stop, more stop, fun. stop around five or six and you'll be because fine. then Dwayne gets involved and he's doing the Dwayne Johnson that like, yeah, it becomes like, like punching nukes out of the sky. Oh, I'm sorry. Like Adding that. Jason Statham in the rock to movies made them worse. <laughs> okay. Yeah, believe these two, believe these two Chandler. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I'm not sure which one I'll be in. We'll see. We'll see. I'll bring back my reviews my, every week. I'm sure it'll be a new favorite part of the podcast. I don't, I'll review whichever one I've seen. I don't know recently. why, but number three, Tokyo Drift is my favorite. Uh, but I, that okay. one's Just, barely even a Fast and Furious movie because like none of the other cast is in it, right? Up until the the post credit shot, right? One, one dude. One dude. Uh, comes over and it's just how they they introduce some new characters it's like when the office went to connecticut yeah and then they brought oh, some yeah. new characters back to to pennsylvania that that that's what tokyo drift was they had to go over to <laughs> to japan to bring some new characters back right, into see the that's franchise. that's the thing rambo doesn't need to overcomplicate. there's no new characters ever it's always rambo and a few hundred random henchmen who die gruesome gruesome death <laughs> at his bare hands for an hour and a half of uninterrupted gratuitous violence he knows the formula okay <laughs> like we don't need to introduce this new stuff we don't need side plots just keep right. making the same movie over and over again in a different setting and everyone will be happy and that's what he's done good for him now it's got old town road so there everyone <laughs> for today for the kids for for today's youth yeah, yeah, yeah to get, yeah. The, get the teens up the so tweens to, to refresh, yeah, to refresh the franchise for the next generation Stallone those, yeah. those <laughs> 300 toddlers from that viral <laughs> video are all going to line up outside for <laughs> Rambo last Gen Z is going to be snapchatting on their who's it my what's watching Rambo's punch guys heads off <laughs> <laughs> Take a break from hanging out at the mall and watch Rambo rip a man's throat out and then use that as a weapon to kill five oh, no. more people. It's no. No. Oh, hanging out at the mall. I like how your young kid voice is still referring to kids like they're in 2006. Like it's the- <laughs> uh, he- uh, Heather Avis's agent just emailed me. Can she please not be on this episode of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you rolled the dice. You rolled the dice, Heather. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All right, stay tuned. Up next, it's slices. You're listening to 
Isu by Shahid at the beginning of the podcast. You heard Groceries by Chance the Rapper, his new single. He's about to drop an album, yo. Yeah, can't wait. Have you seen it? been seeing him on Instagram? He's like, drop, you know, he keeps like saying like, like I participated. Like, like dro- drop a, one of those CD, uh, CD emojis in the comments to get the new album to drop. And I mean, it's like tens and tens of thousands of comments of little like <laughs> CD emojis. I was one of them. He got yeah. me. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll be the one that tips him over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, oh, I'll release it today. And now you're this on guy his seems mailing like he really list. wants it. Somehow you're on his mailing list now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know yeah, I am. Hey, today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite brands, Warby Parker. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to bring boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Prescription eyewear shouldn't cost you more than a plane ticket or a new iPhone. By circumventing traditional channels and engaging with customers directly through their website and retail stores, Warby Parker is able to provide high-quality, good-looking prescription eyewear at a fraction of the price. Almost 1 billion people worldwide lack access to glasses. This means that 15% of the global population can't effectively learn or work, which is crazy because glasses were invented 700 years ago. Well, Warby Parker partners with nonprofits like Vision Spring to ensure that for every pair of glasses sold, a pair is distributed to someone in need. Warby Parker believes that everyone has the right to see. Warby Parker glasses start at just 95 bucks, including the prescription lenses. Uh, lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings as well. And for people who are concerned about the effects of blue light from screens, I'm looking at you, Jesse, blue light filtering lenses are also now available. Look at that. Have an iPhone X? Make sure to download Warby Parker's app where you can use their brand new virtual try-on, allowing you to try on eyeglasses, seeing the realistic color, texture, and size of each style using just your phone. I just did this. I did their um, their free home try-on five pairs that they mail to you thing, and I also did the iPhone app, and it's super cool to try everything on virtually. It's awesome. I probably have six pairs of Warby Parker's wow. over the years. I've been a long-term customer Love their mission, love their style, love their price point. Uh, right now, you can order five pairs of glasses from Warby Parker and try them on for five days with no obligation to buy. They ship free and include a prepaid return shipping label. Head over to warbyparker.com slash relevant to order your free home try-ons today. Do it. You'll like it. Okay, it's time for... Slices! This is going to be a short one. Well, what do you have, Jesse? <clears throat> Thankfully... Huck and I have both become prepared with a twofer because just because oh, it's a skeleton crew duty. does not mean we're not giving the people <laughs> the content they demand. Content. We've already yeah. short the listeners. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> not your fault that nobody else could so show up I, today, so we're not going to make you pay for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, just because we're running lean to mean doesn't mean we're going to have any uh, less great content. What I want to do for my first, for the allotted time for my first slice is re-listen to the Rambo trailer. Chandler, please cue <laughs> 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 no, It's pretty layered, so listen carefully this time. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, but uh, I do have two. One kind of goofy, one we can talk about. But um, this one, okay, listen, we are in the content business. This is what we do. We understand how to get people, you know, to, to well, I like to think we understand for the most part of what gets people to read certain things, to take action, to want to engage with content, right? I feel like there's, uh, you know, in the era of digital media and the internet, <clears throat> if you use, you know, those skills correctly, you can really turn people on to, you know, new interesting ideas. Where that strategy does not belong 
is in the hands of scientists who are potentially sitting on one of the most important discoveries of all time, but are just out here teasing us, just teasing us on what might be. Uh This is what has happened with a group of researchers who are studying biodiversity in Loch Ness to see if the Loch Ness monster is real. So, so for like two years, They've been testing, uh, like biomatter at different depths of Scotland's big, you know, body of water, Loch Ness. And they're looking at, you know, fish scales and waste products. And so for years, they've been testing at different levels of the lock to see if there's anything in the DNA that they find that would indicate there's a mysterious creature living down there. So. Yeah. They finally, a year after, a year overdue. So this is supposed to be done a year ago, right? You know, I, there's like a school in New Zealand funding this. So they're supposed to be done a year ago. They just now said, okay, we're just wrapping this thing up. And they said, hey, we have found something that's going to narrow this thing down to two. It's going to be one of these two things. But they're refusing this. <laughs> they're hijacking the study. They're refusing to unveil what they found. And uh, the the news stories kind of allude until they can get like a TV documentary, like a special, like a Shark Week type of special. They're hide. They're holding on to the greatest discovery in the history of humanity to try to get a, an hour special. This is this, you don't believe me that they're playing clickbait with this thing. This is literally the quote. So he, so basically to set some context, they said it's probably one of two things. It's either a. uh dinosaur that has somehow survived the period which dinosaurs are wiped out, meaning there really is a giant, should be extinct sea monster, probably with cool spiritual powers, lurking (laughs) under those waters. Okay? Uh Untapped potential, right? Who knows what kind of spiritual powers they have? Or it's a large sturgeon or giant catfish. It's one of those two things, and they're going to wait to unveil to us. Here is his quote. If you don't believe me that he's just teasing the world. This is what the scientist says. Is there something deeply mysterious? Hmm. Depends what you believe. Is there anything startling? There are a few things that are a bit surprising. You can't do that. You're a scientist. Oh, you can't tease yeah. out the results of a two year long study till you get a documentary. Do you guys not find this insane? Especially, especially at a time when science is under, you know, is under attack from older, from old institutions. People are trying to say, you know, scientists are just out there for the money. We can't trust them. You can't trust anybody but yourself, not even your own lying eyes. I think it's irresponsible for scientists to lean in to that stereotype of themselves as just being these attention hungry, uh, like flash in the pan, just trying to with, just trying to withhold their intellect from the common people, from the lay folks like us. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think it's, it justifies all of the worst things people are saying about them. And now I don't know what to believe because if scientists will, will be this, uh, showy about something like this, then how do I know that the things that they actually say are really quote unquote important, like, quote unquote global warming are really true either. Well, that's the thing. There's got to be some line between a boring Al Gore PowerPoint presentation. We get it, Al. We got it. This could have been condensed into a much more interesting documentary. You had you got Stallone to do the voiceover and had Old Town Road play repeatedly in the background. Oh, There's got to be some middle ground between a boring PowerPoint presentation and teasing people out for two years. It just just enraged me. It just totally enraged me that scientists now are willing to go to like clickbait tactics i'm surprised that you're not here for the showmanship though that you like a good you know you don't want them to just like oh release a report 
No, you, you. I'm surprised you're not like loving the pomp and circumstance around no, the reveal b- because, like, I I love showmanship if it delivers. It's like it's like here's the thing. It's like if David Blaine set up this insane trick where right. he had you write his name on a card, right? And and he like ate the the card at that point, and then you know. Like he he had you, you know, turn your clothes inside out and you're like, oh, where is this trick going? And then at the end, he's like, all right, I'll finish the trick like a year from now. It's sort of like I'm all for the pomp and circumstance. If you if there's payoff, there's no payoff here. We don't know when we're going to get these results. It's it's abs- it, it's they're they're wielding science as as a clickbait weapon. And, yeah. and we don't even know at this point if there's a, a monster in the depths of Loch Ness, thanks to these, you know, arrogant scientists. It just has me all rattled. You know, we don't even know if the world is round anymore. Yeah, Dude, this is no like time. How many facts? How many facts are they playing with Jesse, right now? They, I just don't think that there's any new tool to reveal any new information that we already know. I mean, think about think about this, like the. The era of like the Sasquatch sightings yes. kind of ended when everybody has like high res phones and cameras in their pocket. Did it? You know what I mean? Like, did it? Like, like the mysterious, like, ooh, shadowy figure. Like, we don't have those photos anymore. And all of a sudden, the mystery goes away. They've had radar, sonar, things that could and have scanned it for decades. They would have seen something by now. There's no new information. We've had the technology for, for, decades to reveal if there was something in Loch Ness. Listen, I want to believe you, but they found something. He said it's a little startling and a little surprising. Does that sound like a giant catfish to you, Cameron? Why would he tease us like that? Why would he tease us? Okay. Uh, uh, one more. This one This one I'm, I'm interested in, in your guys' opinion on. Um, that the, the EU uh, you know, is going... Is, there's a potential new policy by the EU that's going to be taken to the European Union court to see if it holds up. Um the the EU now has a law that says uh, electronic commerce does not that um uh okay does not regulate the ter- territorial scope of an obligation to remove information disseminated via a social network platform it does not preclude a host provider from being ordered to remove such information worldwide here, so here's what that means. The EU right now has a rule that says, like, if you if there's information that is displayed on social media on accounts in the EU, the social net media platform can be held liable for that. They can be mm. subject to penalties, and the penalties now have real teeth. They can lose up to four percent of annual sales for the for serious violations. But what this new EU rule, EU rule uh, says in effect is that even if the social media, even if the content on social media is displayed in parts of the world that aren't access to, to, to audience in Europe, that the the platform can still be held liable for penalties. So that means someone in, you know, hypothetically, you know, Canada or Central America could post something that the EU determines as hate speech and the EU could fine the platform for that, even if it was never accessed in the European Union. So Facebook is really pushing back on this, saying that no single government institution should have what's in effect power to globally regulate a social media platform. Um, but it's bringing up a lot of debates, not just about the power of the EU, but also what social media is, right? Mm. So is social media yeah. actually uh, the just a platform that delivers information, or is it an information 
service itself. So like the difference would be, you know, if I watch something objectionable on television, the network that broadcasts that would be held liable. But Tyler, if I called you on my phone and said something objectionable, the phone company wouldn't necessarily be held liable for that because even though they're providing the platform, which that content was delivered on, that you know they didn't actually they're not in charge of regulating it so this huh. this decision could determine yeah, yeah, the yeah. distinction between whether social media is a, a communication platform like you know like like i said my internet provider isn't going to be held liable if i email all my friends something that they find offensive right. but a radio station or, or television network works so basically the outcome of this coming eu decision has major major implications for how we view social media in the future. Yeah, it, would be yeah, the, sure. it would be the end of social media. I mean, essentially, because like, because like a, a, a radio station, uh, a media platform that's held accountable for the content it produces, there's checks and balances and it is a filtered, I mean, there is a producer, there is a ombudsman, there is a, there, there's there an people editor. Who, yeah. There's an editor making sure that the content is, you know, appropriate and good and quality and engaging and also legal with social media. The whole reason it has is used is that there is no, yeah, there is, you know, there is no checks and balances. There is no accountability. There is no filter. Yeah. So if they were to, they would be first of all, impossible to staff that appropriately to filter everything. And two, like the, imagine trying to write a tweet and then it goes into a queue to get approved. Like you're buying a Facebook ad, Yeah. you know, like you submit the ad and then a human has to approve it. You know what I mean? But like, these social media cha- places have already, most of them have already implemented some sort of content uh, team that is that moderates it. Obviously, as we've talked about, I think on this podcast before, they're they're incredibly over like understaffed and and the work conditions are not good and they're paid not well to be looking at some of the worst things on the internet. But Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of these places have teams. That you don't send it through a queue, but they are in charge of looking for uh, hate for things like hate yeah, speech. But, yeah, but that's different. But that's different because like they can it can exist, and then you know, kind of like you know, whether they or the public kind of flags it to say this is inappropriate, it will then get removed later. If that happened on a media platform, the FCC would find that radio station. Yeah. They, you know, went out even if yeah. later the person got suspended or they said, we're sorry that he said that on the air, they would have a major fine. So the idea that a government regular, you know, regulatory body would be fining Facebook or Twitter, they wouldn't do it retroactively. They wouldn't do it like, well, we'll find the stuff if it pops its head up and pull it. They yeah. would have to do it ahead of the game or else they would be fined out of existence. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing too is like, there's a big major distinction between self-regulation, which is what is happening now and trying to, you know, enforce a um, terms of use agreement that a user agrees to when they sign up to the platform and having some a government institution implement global standards for what kind of conduct is appropriate on these platforms, because the standards of like the EU are going to be different than the standards of the United States, especially when it comes to what is and isn't considered something like hate speech. Like if I, you know, like there are positions that someone could say that are, um, you know, maybe not the most, um, you know, that may be kind of blunt. Like if someone were to say, 
I believe that if you're not a Christian, then you are guilty of sin and are going to go to hell. Like it's conceivable. There are some people that could consider that borderline uh, hate speech towards other other faith groups. Or you could go to like a country that's like a theocracy, like a Saudi Arabia, where they in you know they enforce they have blasphemy laws where you can't say certain things or it's considered blasphemous. So it, it, you know I hate to use like the the slippery slope thing, but really. That's kind of what's at stake here is not only what social media is, but what is and what isn't appropriate dialogue on those public platforms. You know what? A distinction that could emerge would be the difference between public and private accounts. If you think about it, Mm -hmm. if I'm a public, you know, I have a public account, I'm broadcasting. I'm just putting content out there to potentially millions of people. It can spread. It's, you know, whatever. But like, I'm thinking about like, WhatsApp or even Snapchat and stuff. It's more of a closed communication platform. You know, WhatsApp, while quote unquote social media is is a closed network, more like a phone call. You know, it's like, and so, you know, I could see that possibly they would treat private accounts, closed network, closed loop, you know, communication as like phone unregulated. Yeah. And that public accounts uh, would be deemed as a media platform. You yeah. know, that it would be a content creator and it would be regulated as such. I could see that would be the difference maybe that all of a sudden Twitter has to make everybody a private account yeah. you know, something like that. And if you want to have a public account, you submit to regulatory oversight and yeah. filters, you know. Because I think there was a time where places like Facebook and Twitter, like they have just done such a poor job at, uh, at regulating themselves and enforcing their own terms of agreement that it seems like the... You know, we we are in a very dangerous place with them in terms of the hate speech that's being allowed online, and uh, in terms of like both ISIS and the alt right, anti-Semitism and things like that. And people have gotten really hurt by some of these accounts. Oh, certainly. So, so I think that there is. I understand the impetus at play here, and I think that something like what you're talking about, Cameron, might be a reasonable, um, a potential reasonable sort of compromise between the potential fear of government overreach into the private accounts and, and freedom of speech issues and, then and, if uh, you're, the, and the actual safety of, of people who are being targeted by and, this. And if you join a private group or, you know, one of these closed network, you're, you're agreeing to, you know, a waiver essentially that yeah. you're releasing the platform of any liability da, 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 you're, you know, you are signing up for this knowingly. Uh, I could see that, you know, being an, an evolution of social media yeah. where not it, everybody, yeah. not everybody has a platform. I mean, yeah. it would be, it would be a new era. I mean, the democratization of media has radically shifted our business. I mean, it's radically for shifted sure. the need for the gatekeepers. And I mean, even talking to, I was talking to uh, some of my artist friends recently, uh, musicians and stuff. And, you know, 10 years ago, they needed a magazine. They needed a label. They needed to have a manager to have a demo to get a, on a label so the label could get it into the magazine and the magazine could tell people about them and then they would sell albums. Now they bypass the label, they bypass the gatekeepers, and they just have their own social media following. It's radically changed artistic freedom and 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 you know democratization of media has been a big thing. I'm wondering if we're on now we're going to see kind of a almost a reversion back to a gatekeeper mindset or, it, or business model. And it might might have to because like you can see how we've arrived at social media essentially like an evolution of something as like primitive as like the postal service where you know email was an evolution of physical mail 
right? And then, but some of the features on social media are basically like enhancements of what you can do on, on, you know, that people were doing on email, sending around, you know, funny things and creating big contact lists that, you know, even the way that, you know, an email thread comes together isn't that dissimilar than like a private social media feed. So it's like determining what the distinction is between, like you were saying, Cameron, like a broadcaster and a private network of people communicating to each other that just happens to be using a platform that is digital versus, you know, like I said, if I send a letter, if I send offensive letters to my friends, UPS isn't getting fined here, you know? So it, I, it, I, I honestly bet, I bet we'll see the beginning of the end of the public accounts. I really do. Yeah. No, I'm thinking about it. Like, I mean that because anybody could, you know, use it as a pulpit to spew whatever. And then Facebook would be liable. I think there's, they'll just shut that off yeah. and make it back to the original intent of Facebook, which was a network of friends communicate, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And, and I do think this this calls to mind. There was that incident earlier this week, and what you guys probably heard about the guy who created a deep fake of Nancy Pelosi, in which she appeared to be very intoxicated, giving a speech. It wasn't a real video, but it was very convincing, uh, and it was shared. It was retweeted by the president of the United States, so it was shared millions and millions of times by people who evidently believed that it was true. And then this guy who created it is just a private citizen who lives in the Bronx, and the Daily Beast found him and put his information out there as a you know as a as a uh, they, they doxed him essentially, which created the the tension of, well, should this guy's private? You know, is this just free speech? Is he just doing something? Does he deserve to have his information leaked? But he's also created real content that had a real, tangible, obvious effect on public opinion of a major figure in politics, and that's a complicated one. That's a, and I think those sorts of issues are going to become are going to increase as our social media accounts become more and more in line with actual content. Um, instead of just free speech. Yeah. And the distance between our phone conversations and the things that we put online, that gulf is getting wider yeah. and wider. Yeah, that's true. But ideologically, the gulf isn't that wide. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's just expressing ideas through speech on a different platform, you know? But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. And the, impl- the implications yeah, it's, it's are going to be huge. One. And it should be later mm-hmm. this summer that the EU will have their final decision on it. Well, what they do over in the EU is like kind of, we'll see. kind of like Narnia. Yeah, you know? we'll see what those hippies in the EU do yeah, before we start yeah, worrying maybe, about maybe. God's country. <laughs> All right, what do you have, Tyler? All right, I also Don't have to, on uh, me, Queen. <laughs> I'll start. I'll start with one that's a little more uh, a little more substantive, and then we'll 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 close on a lighter note. Uh, so this is a this is an interesting study. Barnett just put out a new study that. Um, Anecdotally, I think I found it to be kind of true, but I was a little surprised to find that it's as widespread as it is. The headline of the study is that millennial non-Christians are more interested in Christianity than older generations are. Hmm. Um, so the study is called Reviving Evangelism, and in it, uh, nearly three quarters of non-Christian millennials, millennials who do not profess uh, Christian faith, have said that they've had at least one conversation about their religious beliefs with a close friend or family in the past year. Um, and that is way above uh, older non-Christians, only 52% of whom said the same thing. Um, even more interesting, I think, nearly two-thirds of the of millennial non-Christians had spoken about their beliefs with a Christian. Christians. They talked to a Christian about their beliefs about uh, about the Christian faith compared to just 44% of older non-Christians. Mm. Millennial non-Christians are twice as likely to express a personal interest in Christianity and have had more contact with people who attend church 
than older millennial non-Christians. So in general, you're just seeing a, a, a more of a personal interest in the Christian faith than older uh, non-Christian generations had, but also uh, less of a divide. They have more friends who are actually Christians. They have more friends who attend church than older generations did. There's less of a a um, a gap between those two groups. I I. You got to think of context in this, though. The millennials are twenty three to thirty eight. That's a season of life that you're an adult. You're yeah. you're you're sitting there, you know, discussing with your friends politics, world issues, uh, social justice, war, spirituality, belief. Yeah, I mean, like it seems to be more of the time in your life where you're exploring worldviews, you're you're learning, you're you know, you're 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 forming your own opinion, you're shedding the skin of what your parents raised you as, and you are stepping into your own ethos, right? And 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 when you're in your 40s and 50s, you're settled. You you yeah. figured out by and large. Please, I'm not painting with a completely broad stroke, but by and large. This is our, we are X, I am X. You're not in that evolutionary discovery phase of life. And it's a mature phase. This isn't teenagers. Millennials aren't teenagers, right? They're 20s and 30s. Yeah. So, so to me, I'm wondering if they had done this study 20 years ago about Gen X, who were then in their 20s and 30s, yeah. would it have been similar? I, I, yeah. I, I I was going to go ahead. I, Jesse. I have. I I think it would be interesting to look at comparative, you know, numbers. When Time were, of life versus yeah. generational, because like the, to me that this is apples and oranges. Yeah. But like compare the generations at the same moment. Yeah. You know, boomers when they were twenty eight did X. Gen, you know, <laughs> Gen X when they were twenty eight did this. Yeah. Millennials when they're twenty eight did this. But just compare twenty eight to forty eight to sixty eight is is is. Dumb, the, you know. The, like the, the other theory that I have on it, though, is that you know there used to be sort of that adage that it's impolite in a lot of settings to talk about religion and politics. Like you know, people just got awkward when they when when those types of topics have gotten brought up. I feel like I feel like the 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 social standards of what is and isn't appropriate to talk about in, you know, kind of casual uh, social settings has changed pretty dramatically, where I, I just feel like it's probably a combination of both time of life, but also shifting social norms, because there really was a time where you would never hear something like uh, 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 the, the religion of someone on TV mentioned in any sort of meaningful way, right? Like there are, I you know, if you watch a lot of like, old sitcoms and TVs. That's never a part of it, you know? But now I don't feel like it's that uncommon for a character to be uh, Muslim and that be a meaningful part of that 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 character or for, for the, a character to be a Christian in a way that isn't just like there's always been like a Ned Flanders or someone who's, you know, a, a satire of a larger idea. But it does seem like faith is now more a part of people's individual identities than it seems to have been in the past to some degree. I mean, I would also, but I would counter that we weren't around in the sixties and seventies and eighties to know, right? I mean, and, and, and is it, is it that it's, it's more open now or is it just, we have more access and information because of social media and blah, 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 that we get to know them as people now. Cause like within, with the NBA, which I follow closely, you know, they, the, the old school guys, the Isaiah Thomases, Charles Barkley's, whatever, talk about in their day, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and now, like, we know, th- 
we only knew what was on the poster in our bedroom about yeah. our heroes when we were kids. Now we follow them as actual people. And I know Joel Embiid's personality and his thoughts and his yeah. politics in a way that was just not accessible before. So yeah. I just, don't, I don't know that maybe Charles Barkley was having the same conversations and had the same yeah. thoughts, but again, it's like that apples and oranges thing. We can't yeah. compare eras. And, and, and two, at uh, what is it sort of a tail wagging the dog? Like, because this information is more accessible to more people. People are more comfortable giving people access to that information about themselves. You know, like how much is technology enabling what may have been a, a a smaller impulse and made it much, a much larger one because there's a comfort level uh, that social media has given us to be more authentic. Well, seemingly authentic, at least the perception of you can know more of me, you know? So right. I, it could be, like I said, a kind of a tail wag the dog situation. Tyler, what, you, you had some thoughts about what... Well, it's just what you're saying does does uh, kind of lend itself to conversations that come from different parts of the study. Um, possibly to your point, Jesse, uh, millennial non-Christians have had much more, almost twice as much ex- personal experience with evangelism as mm. older non-Christians. Uh, 45% of millennial, non- of millennial non-Christians say they've been evangelized to uh, versus just 26% of older generations. That shocks um, me. I, like, I would, that surprises I would, me a lot. Maybe there's yeah. a follow-up question there. What 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 was their like? What are they talking about? They were out clubbing, and the guy at midnight was like preaching, yeah. "You're going to hell on a megaphone." Because yeah. I, but that's probably that would seem like that'd be some. That's a pretty universal experience in the United in the U.S. I think older generations have seen those same street preachers. Yeah, but that's what makes it. So interesting, I'm not sure, but though. it could also be social media. It could also this could also be via a friend on Facebook, um, who wouldn't yes. necessarily be like evangelize. Like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? But uh, but I've definitely had conversations with my non-Christian friends, which I wouldn't say I was trying to proselytize or convince them or of anything, but was explaining my beliefs in a way that maybe they hadn't heard they were curious about. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like defining the term I've experienced evangelism is it that I had a conversation late one night with a group of friends about our spiritual backgrounds, our current belief system. And there was like a spiritual fluidity to it. And somebody grew up in the church, Mm -hmm. but here's what they believe now. And then now when I'm asked by a surveyor, I go, yeah, I experienced evangelism. Somebody told me that he was a Christian. I mean, like that's not, the same thing, you know, like, again, I get, there's so many follow-up questions to this study that I have, but yeah, well, I, and, but the, honestly, that's a, a part of a lot of studies that have to do with religion and faith is like just the simple defining of terms. Like, how do you even define the term evangelism so that everyone's going to apply it the same way? Because like you said, Cameron, someone's conversation with their buddy in the dorm one night, they might say, well, that was evangelistic, you know, where someone else would only, you know, quantify it as a conversation or some sort of interaction that was directly like proselytizing, you know, right? like without the definition yeah. of that term, because the Good terms. Well, and plus the, let's face it, the word evangelism is an, has become an extremely loaded term. I feel yeah, like. like I don't like, I don't know. I, I can honestly say, I don't know other than the street preacher with the megaphone that I've experienced evangelism or come across it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously we have, spiritual conversations all the time with our friends and stuff. We talk about what the Lord's doing or we, what we believe or wrestling with stuff. But like somebody sitting there, like I'm going to go meet with my friend who's not a believer and t- tell him about Jesus. I don't, it just doesn't seem to be as prominent. As it was in, in old past eras. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, what are the people who are responding to this survey meaning when they are answering affirmatively to being asked about that term? Yeah. Did somebody, maybe we should get, maybe we should get Kinnaman on the horn. 
Yeah, maybe. That's get, what let's, let's, let's get, him on the, get him on the blower and see if we all, can track down Adam Smith. All Dave Kinnaman and I, all Dave Kinnaman and I ever have, I mean, discussed in the last three years is Orlando Magic Phoenix Suns basketball. That's all we talk about. <laughs> That's a separate pod. But, but yeah. <laughs> hey, David, I'd like to talk to you about two French, two franchises that frankly have been pretty sad the last five years. So who, <laughs> let's see, let's see whose fans are more miserable. Well, that's the reason why we've connected is he's a lifelong <laughs> Phoenix Suns fan and we both bemoan our, our misery uh, every yeah, well, season. Throughout. You got a lot to be yeah. sad. One about, last, right? one last little data point here. That's a little more concrete and then we can move on. But I, I did think this was interesting. Uh, According to the study, uh, just under two thirds of non-Christian and lapsed Christians, uh, this is 62%, said they wanted to talk with a practicing Christian who, quote, listens without judgment, but only a third said they had actually experienced this. Mm. Um, so, so most people are, are interested in, in actually like being listened to by a Christian, uh, but they don't feel like, or at least listening to being listened to without judgment, but they also don't feel like that has actually happened. For reasons that are kind of hard to well, determine. Well, I'll say this. If I'm talking to someone, the first thing I do if they're wearing a tank top is tell them, yep. you know, yep. you're well, on the, I'll you're on, to, I'll listen to you're you. on the, the fast train straight to <laughs> the hottest part of hell for that tank top. You can change well, shirts. But, but, but they've got the attire for it. They're, they'll be nice and cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, your arms are going to be very breathy down you're, there. You're in the, it's a good news. It's a good news, bad news situation. Hell, hell's very humid. You're going to wear. You're going to want to wear a tank yeah. top. Yeah. You're well, you're the, well dressed. the good news is your arms will be slightly more comfortable than the rest of your body. The bad news is it's literally the pit of hell. And uh, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what the dress forever. code is, but yeah, I, know, I forgot to mention it is forever. So make sure, make sure that 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 the color scheme on the tank stays in the style. <laughs> Can I say that like, there's an easy solution here for this priest literally the, the easy yeah. solution he doesn't have to offend anybody he didn't have to go on twitter just when it comes to crank sunday services AC. crank the ac yeah. exactly literally make it 60 degrees in the church and nobody's wearing a tank top or i got a better one how about you just lighten up a little <laughs> like, that seems like you could do it too that seems like hey, just <laughs> chill out how about we just chill out on doesn't, the people in tank tops and worry about their souls not their arms doesn't, doesn't cost you a dime yeah yeah well i think the catholic church understands you know got a, they got their priorities in the right place yeah, right now yeah, yeah exactly of, there's not a lot of issues why don't you so stop let's, being let's, such a nerd and worrying about tank tops and worry about you know why don't you Make sure everything kosher. They're taking care of the big things. Now it's just fine too. Well, yeah, you now might just, you might want to have just a tweak discussion tweak in the dress code. Your just bunnies up at the Vatican because yeah. I don't think they're really uh, you know doing too hot these days. So. All right, all right, we got some Catholic <laughs> listeners. Let's take it easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. They would probably agree. They're probably wearing tank tops right now. Going, that's right. Suns out, guns out. That is right. Take that, Frankie. Boat Francis. But, but for that, hey, they need to make a Christian tank top. That it's S O N, sun's out, guns out, and they wear it to church. I really want to go. I don't know where that, that guy's church is, and I've never, I would never thought about protesting at church before, but it'd be very, very funny to show up there in a tank top that with yeah. a with a big sign that says sun's out, guns out, but it's it's S O N. And just like, yeah, I do like, I really like this tank idea and would buy the relevant merch. And, and, version and, okay, of it. this is Karen, very funny. I'll go with sun's out, guns out. Karen, you go with. I demand the right to bear arms, and it's bear <laughs> arms. It's actually like, bear arms. Yeah, B A R E. Yeah, bear arms. I, it's I, summer. It's summer. We need. We need. You know. It's, it's getting. I demand the right to bear I, arms. I will tell you right now. By the time. Out. 
by the time this podcast goes up in five hours, there will be two tank tops at the relevant store, store.relevantmags.com. The right to bear arms and sons out, guns out, S-O-N, will be available There will be way purchase. less than two because I'm buying five for every day of the week, Monday through Friday. My new work uni. Yeah. My new one, work uniform. One for the evening, one for the mornings. Yeah. Because you know, yes. if I'm wearing tanks to work, I'm working up a sweat. You better believe that. Sweat that'll, do it for, that'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Yeah. Up next, Heather Avis joins us. Listening to Verite, the song is gone. Well, this episode is also brought to you by Blinkist. Being able to practice mindfulness every day is something we all want to achieve, and sometimes it can be really hard when we're overwhelmed with work and other aspects of life. Well, there's an app I highly recommend which might help you to be more mindful every day. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes so you can read them or listen to them. Blinkist is made for busy people like you uh, who want to get the main points of the books quickly without reading the entire thing. Uh, With an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy to finish four books a day while you're on the go. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now. It has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books and a lot more. I am a subscriber and download Blinkist books all the time. You can easily listen in the car and get great recommendations on what to read next. Uh, Some of the most popular books uh, in the mindfulness and happiness category include The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, The Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Lots of good stuff. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for just the relevant podcast audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash relevant to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, dot com slash relevant to start your free seven-day trial. Well, Heather Avis is a speaker and author of The Lucky Few and her latest book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, Creating Space on the Armrest on Airplanes. No, creating a space where everyone belongs. In it, she describes how the experience of being the adoptive parent to three young children, two of whom uh, have special needs, opened her eyes to the ways that churches can be more inclusive spaces. Jesse, you talked to her, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of of Heather and her work, and you know, I this this book in particular is very challenging, and that's what I think to come across in the interview. But I, I do feel like it's important to set some context for how she kind of arrived at a lot of the observations about kind of ways that the church really needs to improve and Christian communities need to improve, which is how her life changed. You know, she's an adoption advocate. Uh, and when they started adopting children, it kind of led to this perspective shift. But I want to give that context of her telling a little bit of her backstory. We ended up with three children who were not born of my womb, two of whom have Down syndrome. And it, yeah, it changed the trajectory of our lives forever and for the better. And so um, with this new book, Scoot Over, Make Some Room, it basically, I've been parenting for 10 years, which isn't a super long time, but it's plenty of time. Um, And I've just say, when we step out our front door, my kids are stepping into a world that continues to fail to see their full value and worth. And uh, that's unacceptable. And so there's that piece of my kids will be seen 
as exactly as they are, as valuable and worthy and incredible humans. Um, And also my life is so much richer because I've been catapulted into these spaces of doing life with people who are so different than I am. The, the, you know, experience of, of having such a diverse family, you know, kind of, and wanting to create a world that in the future is, is better than the one that we have now really led to some eye-opening things about the church when it came uh, to diversity and here's what here's why she thinks that you know there are a lot of failings that need to be addressed. I think that the church, um, quite frankly, and when I say the church, like air quotes, big C church, right? I think that's what you're saying. The church, yeah, is totally failing. Um, for whatever reason, it's become this incredibly homogenous, comfortable place, which is, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of Jesus, the total opposite of what the church should be. Um, so we have found personally, and then in interacting with at this point in life, thousands of families who have a loved one with a disability um, or Down syndrome, that the church is one of the first places to other them, to segregate them. Um, and there's that, there's like a statistic and I don't, I mean, don't quote me here, but that talks about how Sunday mornings are the most racially segregated hour of the week. So we're still doing church life um, homogeneously. And I understand that for people of color. I I feel like a lot of people of color should, I mean, that's like such a safe church to be such a safe hour. And yes, be with people who are like you and you can go all the way back historically into like when slavery was happening and that that, that Sunday hour was such a safe place for African-American people. Um, But if we look at God and we look at just creation period, and we see all the diversity that's been created and that we should be living together. And we talk about people being image bearers. um, And so if we don't, in my, I believe that if we're not intentionally doing life with people who are different than us, who are image bearers of God, then we're missing out on the fullness of God. Yeah. I I think, you know, her, her thoughts there are extremely challenging. I mean, you know, a lot of churches are self-segregated, you know, people end up, you know, I don't want to say everyone, but there are a lot of people that end up, you know, going to church with people who are, are just like them. And when that happens, not only do you, you know, like she says, automatically kind of make people feel like, uh, other, you know, not inclusive, but you also lose out on really valuable perspectives and, and ideas and the way that God, you know, expresses himself through different uh, people within his creation. And that's why she said it's so important to be intentional about creating diverse communities, especially in, in, in the world of faith. And here's what she said about that intentionality. I think the fact that we are, as the church, continuing to do life to do church real comfortably, um, and which means we're not making space for people who are different than us. We don't have um, intentional space for people with disabilities in our congregations, um, or we're not being intentional about bringing people, about creating a Sunday morning environment that is a place where all different ethnicities can thrive together, that we're just, um, we're going to continue to be broken and hurting. 
I think that's super interesting. It's something that I, I've been thinking about a lot. And I hope the conversation at church gets there because I do think there's a growing awareness of the importance of, of diversity and welcoming people who are like us, whether that be in terms of race or, or in terms of people who are, who are developmentally disabled too. I, I think that that representation is hugely important. Um, but I think a lot of, a lot of the, the failing is for a lot of, people like us is that we kind of think that just by acknowledging that we need to have that, mm. we feel like we've done something really good. We pat ourselves on the back and I'm glad to hear the conversation that Heather's conversation is moving towards intentionality. Like That's it's right. not enough to just say diversity is important and let it go from there. It ta- it's tough. Like it's not an easy thing. It, it takes a really, it takes disruption to your own social circles. It, it's hard. It, sometimes it's geographical, you know, sometimes uh-huh. just yeah, by, proximity yeah, where, yeah. where you live, you know, or, you know, or where, or who the people that you grew up with or the denominations nomination that you are most familiar with. But I want to close out with something she said along those lines that, you know, for people that, you know, encounter her work and read her story in this book in particular, knowing that, listen, it might take some some hard work in getting outside of your own personal comfort zone. But in the end, that's worth it. Here, here's here's how Heather put it. I hope that the reader just does a really deep evaluation of who is around them. Um, of the who around them and just takes notice of people around them who are different notices who is there and then notices who's missing. And is that awareness is so important. And then it hopefully translates into action um, would be the ultimate goal. And, and it's, I feel like this is one of those books that's, that really is asking the reader to do some hard work. And I know that we live in a world that's like all the self-help books about how awesome you can be in, you know, all like the you, you, you books, this is quite the opposite. But in the long run, ultimately, when you do make space in your life for people who are different than you, it gives you a richer, more worthy life. Um, so it's like doing that hard work relationally will actually benefit you so much in the long run. Yeah, such a great message. And, and I just, it's I love like that counter, that cultural counter narrative where it's not all about, you know, you and fulfilling your desires and your, th- no, it's like, no, do some hard work, get out of your comfort zone and really, you know, understand how full your life can be when you, when you experience other people and other perspectives. And so anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, the book is scoot over, make some room and big fan of Heather Avis and not only what she's doing professionally, but in uh, her personal life too. Just such an awesome, inspiring person to talk to. There you go. Well, that was Heather Avis. Stay tuned up next. It's your feedback. Stay with me among the strangers. Change your mind and nothing changes. Don't let show any emotion when you climb into the ocean. Rather, we should try to get some sun. You're listening to the national. The song is Rylan. Just Collins. Very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, shout out shout Jess. Out we got some Weezer coming up too. We got all the hottest, all the hottest tunes from the mid aughts coming to you, <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen. Here, say anything. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's time for your feedback. Last week we uh, we brought you the hard hitting news. Of, oh boy, of the softest the softest rock super group possible. No, Tyler. Don't back down now. The that 1990s. You know I'm backing down. I am not backing down. The 1990s. No, 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 no. Tyler, I, yeah, here, Tyler already apologizing. Listen, we said nothing to get them all mad. And Here's I don't the care that they are. 
It's because Tyler lives, uh, and you know he he's yeah. he anch- he anchors yeah. our our Nashville bureau. There, Evan. He's the sole occupant of the relevant Nashville bureau. <laughs> the entirety. He's got to go to the coffee shops where these guys hang out, and so us mentioning. <laughs> mentioning got my, got my poster plastered all over town now mentioning yeah. hold, the, hold my frappuccino rick this guy said <laughs> i rock softly yeah uh we mentioned last week the news that there's a 1990s ccm supergroup being formed with members of some of the bands that you grew up maybe grew up listening to uh, uh dan house from jars of clay kevin max from dc talk and and others and 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 it just got us thinking of what other CCM supergroups need to be formed. So that was the question of the week. You guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. You also posted on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. There's a lot of suggestions. Good stuff. Okay. Um, good stuff and here are there. a few of our favorites. All right. Before we jump into the suggestions, you may also remember, Cameron, that we suggested there's a, a scale of rocking softly, right? That's right. So and, on a scale of yeah. one to ten, one being the softest as the deer, and, as the deer <laughs> and ten being to the hell with the devil, to yeah. hell with the devil by striper. We wanted to know not only your CCM supergroup, but where on the spectrum numerically would they fall on the soft rock the, spectrum? That, so, that's right. Yeah. Well, Thank you. Well, well, Matt went ahead and flushed out the whole spectrum one to ten. If you guys would like to hear and, it. And he did a he did a great I feel job. like he nailed it. This is this is on the money. And, yeah. and you know, if if some of these have have your your Spotify pulled up fans, if if you want to hear the spectrum for yourself. But number yeah. one is as the deer. I think we're all familiar with that gentle hymn. Um number two not, is not a hymn. Not a hymn, but okay. Well yeah, yeah it's a hymn. I mean it's not like it's not a it's like it's not a book. written like eight hundred years ago. I think it's yeah, from it's the not, Psalms. I think it's directly from the Psalms. No, it is. It's it is a psalm, but it is not a hymn from the hymn book. I don't know what the distinction. I don't way, know all the either distinctions. Way, either way, we can, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist. Either way, we can say this: nothing rocks oh, yeah. softer than as the deer. Whether it's uh, <laughs> yeah. whether it's in the hymn book, whether when history. David was pinning it, when David was pinning it, you know, in the Psalms, he was, he was and, pretty chill. Yeah, he was pretty David's chill when he writing it. it by himself, and he hands it yeah. over to the the Selah musicians, and they're like, "David, this one rocks pretty softly, man. This is not yeah. your hardest yeah. rock work here." And he's like, "It's right. okay. It's as the deer pants for the he's water." He's like, "We're in the not cave. It's a little stressful." being chased i think we need to just chill it out a little bit yeah here's the as of the deer yeah. yeah this is dad david this is post the giants way in he's the past retired the, dead. he's retired oh, yeah. the tank top he's wearing cardigans and pinning <laughs> as the deer at this point that's right uh, yeah, yeah he's he's no longer slinging rocks so that's number one number one on the spectrum yeah. acoustic acoustic according, harp according to matt that's okay. still that's number, number one. one number two is the song anything by for him i don't i'm not no, familiar with that one i'm not familiar no, no, I, no, I, remember no. The, I remember for him but i don't know the song no i don't think it's the song i think he said anything by for him very good very good you didn't put quotes around the word anything it just says anything by for him you're right you're right anything by for him so they're just slightly above as the deer cranking it up to number three is the song great adventure this is yeah little Stephen Curtis chapman yeah okay saddle up your horses yeah so yeah saddle up your horses yeah so that's up to three number four is the song breakfast by the newsboys who makes Uh you know the things i've always uh, appreciate about the song about them not serving breakfast in hell is that it's taken it's taken the stark uh idea of an eternal resting place of torment for those who reject christ and make it a big joke about eating cereal so uh number four breakfast in hell by the newsboys number five jars of clay's flood right in the middle we said we said in the show last week 
Okay, number uh-huh. six. This is where it gets interesting. Number six, I would have had this higher, meant to live by Switchfoot. I get it, though. No, that's I just a notch above it. Flood. It's Yeah, I, I get it. It's perfect. I, I think it's perfect, because I also think that rock is sort of an ethos, like, lyrically, and meant to live... While while the songs are pl- songs definitely plugged in, the amps are turned up. It's also not a very like punk. It's very encouraging. Out there really live your life. Yeah. It's encouraging. To the full, yeah, yeah. Make it, well, yeah, it, yeah. It definitely. It's not anarchistic yeah, enough. It ratchets it up from there. I'll blow through this last one. Two thousand eight skillet, which you know, pretty hard rock. Uh, followed by the song Jesus Freak by number DC eight, Talk yeah. at number eight. Yeah. Love it. Youth Love of a Nation perfect. by POD at number nine. So POD yeah, is holding down the, the top in there. And then finally yeah. To Hell with the Devil by Striper. So that is the scale because throughout the scale will be mentioned. I want to start with Beth. Her band name is called Just a Little Bit Secular. And it features <laughs> it features three artists who had their roots in, in Christian music but have since expanded their horizons. Joy Williams, Katy Perry and the Jonas Brothers, and they uh, are—they're about a four on the soft rock scale for a little bit secular. A little pop out, more than a little bit secular, but but I like, but I see where she—I know what she's working with. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. Okay. I'd listen. Um, I like. (laughs) All right, I got to hand it. Tip of the cap to Juan. I think this would be a good one from Audio Adrenaline. Uh, for the um, lead singer Kevin Max from the Newsboys, he'd bring in Michael Tate, and then he made he'd want some sort of hip hop presence. Maybe Toby Mac. He'd bring those three <laughs> titans, <laughs> titans of Christian music together. <laughs> he'd get them all in the That's same really room, good. see what sort of magic had. Who knows? A combustible, really it's like good. a cocktail of some of the greatest Christian rock acts ever. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <That's really> <laughs> he says that he notes that it would be perfect for cruises, which I, would, I can't, couldn't agree more. Yacht rock. Hey, don't you love it how half of CCM is already one big super group? Like they already yeah. are all part of each other's bands. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Aaron had this one. Mike, CCM is basically like when they broke up AT&T or the Bells back in the, and they, they made like <laughs> yeah, 10 yeah. different <laughs> companies out of the AT&T. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, all right. So Aaron said CCM super group, Michael W. Smith, Striper and the Supertones join forces to become the Michael W. <laughs> Striper tones. <laughs> Michael W. Smith dulcet vocal tones combined with the roaring horn section and dueling guitar solos uh, would be, you know, pretty fun. It's also a number five on the rock scale. I would think that'd be higher, but... Uh, I'd go, I'd, I'd crank it up a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd be going higher yeah. than... Jimmy is a fan of the awkward. He's a fan of the Scott's Tots. And uh, he says his Christian music supergroup would just be an insane awkward duo of Michael Gunger and Chris Tomlin where they play mashups of their music to an audience of liturgist and CCM fans. So just <laughs> nobody's happy. Nobody's happy with the pair. No, no, definitely both sides are very displeased at that concert. Yeah. yeah which, Everybody storms out. Yeah. Storms out. <laughs> I like Z- Zach's gone topical here. He's created a band for our time. Um, mm-hmm. Not, not only is this a super group, but it also is relevant to today's uh, world. Uh, how about a DC Talk Newsboys crossover band where they just sing super hard rock covers of CNN news headlines called, wait for it, DC Talk, no, hold on, DC 
News Talk Boys. <laughs> the DC, DC News Talk Boys. Wait, hey, that, sounds like a, that sounds like a YouTube channel, yeah, like one yeah. of those conservative YouTubers. Well, that that's goes, the thing. Yo, it's they, the they're DC making News songs. Talk Boys here. They're making songs out of news coming from Washington. That's why are the yeah, DC yeah, News Talk yeah. Boys. Yeah. Um, of course, they would be an eight out of ten on the scale. So pretty hard. <laughs> he said, and he also that's pointed pretty... out that that cruise would be very polarizing. It would be very. <laughs> That'd be more uncomfortable than a liturgist uh, Chris Tomlin concert. I believe. Uh, there's a lot more where that came from. Go check them out on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Okay, well, earlier in the show, we got talking about the hard-hitting, the big issues. The big, We talked about the big issues facing the church today. We talked about, you know, uh, segregated congregations. We talked about the need for diversity. We talked about just a lot of the things that the big C church needs to grapple with, but most importantly, tank tops. Uh, got us thinking about times maybe we were in youth group or times we were in church and we got called out by the pastor or pulled aside after youth service. Hey, don't do that again. Don't wear that shirt. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we all got our little, our, our, our hands slapped for, uh, getting out of line. We want to know your stories of times you got reprimanded for something at church like the person who wore the tank top and the priest said, please don't wear tank tops anymore. We want to know stories of your time getting your hand slapped at church growing up or even as an adult, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe you brought a shofar and the the worship leader didn't enjoy that. You know what I mean? And after service, yeah, Called maybe you you're maybe you didn't know that this church isn't appropriate to do mid worship victory laps around, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you took Just, off running full sprint and got stopped. You know, I don't, maybe, know. I don't know. We want to hear your story, but maybe you haven't done it. Maybe you saw somebody do something that got corrected after service or during yeah. service. Tell us those stories. I, I will say this. I've had numerous occasions where I, you know, I've grown up. Uh, I got a lot of these. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I want to know if you've ever experienced this because you grew up in more, um, I guess the, 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 the only word I can think is more like charismatic type of evangelical yeah, churches sure. where yeah. there are times in the services where people uh, are asked if they have a word for the congregation. I know that's controversial in some denominations, yeah. but in yeah. a lot of evangelical you know, churches, not that uncommon. The assistant pastor, and I know this because I know some of these assistant pastors, are taught to never let the mic leave their hand. So, That's like, right. the person comes down from the oh, crowd, sure. yeah. you know, they said, I have a word for the congregation. Well, it's not even, uh, not only the word, uh, a lot of churches will do, like, testimony, yep. you know, like, come mm-hmm. give your testimony. Mm-hmm. Well, same thing. Pastor will not let go of the mic. I right. have seen basically mm-hmm. like uh, like covert wrestling matches at the front of the church because the person thinks, okay, I'm grabbing the mic and it's my time now. You know, right. I'm going to do my 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 thing here, and you know, the assistant pastor has that kung fu grip because they're instructed never because yeah. if they're holding the mic, they can pull it away when things start getting weird. Which if you've been to enough of those services, <laughs> it will get weird. So yeah, I've I've witnessed that many times, and like the thing is like. Both both of them are like pulling on the microphone, but they're both playing it super cool as if they're not yanking on the microphone. You know, yeah, you I've see seen it like trembling. Times. You see it like shaking in their hands. Yeah, like yeah. They're both pulling. One time the caller was mic. wearing an inappropriate tank top and veins were just bursting out of their arms. That's how you could tell. It was quite yeah. the scene. And then Sylvester Stallone left and punched somebody's head off. Tyler, <laughs> what did you see? <laughs> oh, I mean, I've seen it. The only thing, the first thing that came to mind, and like I said, there have been a few of these moments, but... 
what I saw was maybe somebody who didn't have a lot of familiarity with dating when he was a child <laughs> finally worked up the courage to hold his new girlfriend's hand during no. church. Oh, and no. then that somebody, the youth pastor, may have looked towards this hypothetical person and just said, watch it, buddy, as he walked by, shaming what? him into not holding hands again, probably until like the day I walked down the aisle, or whoever this is, walked down the aisle for his own wedding. <laughs> whoever it is. Oh my gosh. Watch it, buddy, from a holding of watch hands. Watch it, buddy, from a, from a hand-holding situation. Wow. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Wow. we don't watch need to, we don't have to. Oh. We, don't, we don't have time to unpack all of the lingering trauma that's left in me. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right. Hit us up with your stories at uh, on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can post your longer ones on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Well, many thanks to Blinkist for making the show possible. Remember, you can go to Blinkist.com slash relevant to start your free seven-day trial. It's a great app. Uh, you'll like it a lot. Also, thanks to Warby Parker. Remember, you can order five pairs of glasses and try them on for five days with no obligation to buy. Uh, everything ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Head over to warbyparker.com slash relevant to order your free home try-ons today. Also, thanks to Heather Davis for joining us. Her new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, is available for pre-order right now. Definitely want to check it out. Well, on that note, we will wrap things up. Uh, I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. We will see you on Friday. Have a good week, everyone. She likes the club, but she don't dance, though. I take the kitty and she takes me back hello. I'm like simple lemonade. I'ma play my cards right. I ain't talking space. They should be afraid. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from the Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Gen Z is going to be Snapchatting on their who's it what's watching Rambos punch guys' heads off. Relevant Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Christy Shriver, and we discuss books that have changed the world and have changed us. And I'm Gary Shriver, and we are the How to Love Lit Podcast. Every week, we cover a piece of classical literature. We set up the historical, psychological, and literary context, making these challenging works actually fun. The How to Love Lit Podcast is available everywhere, and you can also visit us at howtolovelitpodcast.com. You'll love it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.